This week on the show, we're showing you how to deploy FreeBSD on the Oracle Cloud, a tale of 300,000 imaginary friends is told, EuroBSDCon 2022 is recapped in all its glory, OpenBSD Mastery File Systems status report from Michael W. Lucas, OpenBGPD, and why this acronym is very complicated, 7.6 released, immutable userland mappings in OpenBSD and why that is a cool feature, portable OpenSSH commits are now SSH signed, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 474, EuroBSDCon 2022. This episode of BSD Now is recorded on the 21st of September 2022 and is sponsored by the folks at Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow to find the online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you would like to support this show in one way or the other, remove the ads or want to put something in our little tip jar, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I am Tom Jones. Welcome back, I would say, because we are <laughs> back from EuroBSDCon and all of our hosts were there, Alan, Tom and I. But before we report about the actual conference, we have other headlines for you just to tease you a little bit and uh, keep the suspense. Uh, the first one is from Clara Systems, another article they wrote, and it's about deploying FreeBSD on Oracle Cloud. I think Tom was somehow involved in this. That's why I'm reading this. Um, <laughs> I've wrote it. That, that's yeah. how I was involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why I'm reading it. Okay, FreeBSD is the OS of choice, is the, last, uh, the sentence here, for leveraging the most out of your Oracle Cloud deployment. Take advantage of the raw processing power of the Ampere Ultra has to offer and take the next step in evolving your infrastructure. This may sound a bit marketing-like, but bear with us. So FreeBSD in the Oracle Cloud. Although most people associate ARM processors with small personal devices, ARM64 servers have grown by leaps and bounds in the last few years. For example, Ampere Ultra, not ULTRA, but ALTRA machines are available in 80 and 160 core variants and can support up to 512 gigabytes of memory. These machines are core to the Oracle Cloud's ARM server offering. And the Oracle Cloud makes these hugely powerful Ampere servers available on demand as virtual machines hosts, as virtual machine hosts, or as virtual machine hosts. Ah, yeah, okay. One more time. Oracle Cloud makes these hugely powerful Ampere servers available on demand as virtual machine hosts and as dedicated bare metal instances. Okay. FreeBSD is an excellent choice in this environment since the ARM64 architecture was promoted to the tier 1 support category as of FreeBSD 13.0 release. So that's the previous release already. This tier 1 support reflects the FreeBSD project's commitment to offering timely releases, support, and packages for the platform. Oracle Cloud's tier uh, that is free, includes the following resources which can be dedicated to a single large virtual machine or allocated up to four smaller virtual machines. Uh, four ARM-based Ampere A1 cores, 24 gigabytes of RAM, two blocks uh, volume storage or block storage volumes, yeah, uh, 200 gigabytes in total, 10 gigabytes of object storage, which is standard, 10 gigabytes of object storage for infrequent access, and 10 gigabytes of archive storage, so backups and such. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the free tier has changed as well since this was written because I wrote this in April 
or March. So I think they've I think they've increased the size of the free tier since then. Could very well be, yeah. As uh, demands grow, they offer probably a bit more. Okay, the always free tier offers enough space to experiment with using ARM64 virtual machines for FreeBSD for a wide range of different projects. And of course, this article explores that a little bit. And for FreeBSD 13.1, uh, A1 virtual machine instances. Okay, so building a FreeBSD 13.1 image. Official ARM64 FreeBSD 13.1 release images are not yet directly available in Oracle Cloud. I guess that hasn't changed. <laughs> That, ha that has changed. I think there are oh, okay. release images now, yeah. I think it's a couple of oh, weeks good. ago. So yeah, uh, FreeBSD's build infrastructure already makes it easy to build your own high-quality custom images and experiment with them in Oracle Cloud if you don't like what's been offered. FreeBSD's easy-to-use build infrastructure is very solid and offers you access to the same tools used to make the official FreeBSD releases. And with a couple of commands, we can create our own custom images. So for this article, uh, we will make a basic default image, but it is entirely possible to do any configuration that you want on the image before using it as a template for virtual machines. To build our custom image, we need the following steps. Clone the virtual free... Wait, that doesn't make sense. Clone the FreeBSD source tree, of course. Patch in support for Oracle Cloud images. Make build world and make build kernel. Make a release. That's the last step. Okay. This sounds a bit complicated, but it's not because, again, the infrastructure supports you there. Once we have completed these steps, we can upload the image to Oracle Cloud and use the image to create an instance. For the build there, we need to use a FreeBSD host machine. FreeBSD can be cross-built from other operating systems, but that process is outside of the scope of this article. So a patch needs to be applied from a FreeBSD uh, fabricator review, or maybe not anymore. Uh, this patch adds a new cloud image target OCI and includes the tools required for an image to work in Oracle Cloud. To build the image with the required patch, we need to grab the source FreeBSD tree with git and apply the patch. We do this with the following four commands, git clone, the git repo uh, from FreeBSD org, the source repo, you won't get far with the doc repo in this case, uh, or the ports repo, and then you fetch the file attached to the review and cd to source and then run git apply dash p0 to apply exactly this patch you downloaded and with the tree patched we can build now world and kernel uh, my build system is running amd64 so i need to specify the target as arm64 and the target underscore arch as arch64 and the two commands are provided with a bit of extra information there so uh, no ports are built no source uh, extra files are in the cloudware release target okay the build step takes about 30 minutes on a ryzen 7 3800x system for those who have one of these uh, machines uh, but yeah take some leisurely stroll through the park and then come back maybe then it's later uh, once the build and release phase have completed you will have a qcow2 image in your user object arm64.arch64/release called oci.qcow2 then we need to perform a couple of steps to upload the image to create uh, that in Oracle's cloud object storage and turn it into a functioning virtual machine image. All of these steps can be accomplished using the Oracle command line tools, but here we will use the console, the web interface. Uh, to get to that, first we need to visit the object storage page and create a bucket. From the menu at the top left, navigate through the storage object and archive storage buckets as shown below. So there are a couple of screenshots in that and you can follow along quite easily to find the location where this should be placed. And uh, you select the object from the FreeBSD image buckets later 
then format uh oh yeah the format needs to be in QCAD 2 format but we already did that during the build and the launch mode needs to be set to emulated mode so these are oracle specific settings there finally we need to modify the image shape uh, a little bit to make the image functional we need to add the shape vm.standard.a1.flex to the list of shapes for the image uh, then modify the image capabilities in the edit image capabilities menu all that is done so that's basically not too much different than any other cloud provider that uh, has a couple of options like how big this machine should be of course don't forget to add an ssh key that would uh, then automatically assign to this machine and you upload or paste that into uh, the uh, well, box for it basically and then this machine's uh, don't need any extra openings into the wide wide world aka keyboard interactive because they're using the preset key that you uploaded and then no one else but you can log in securely using the key okay once you click create from the image page it will take about five minutes for the new image to be provisioned and created and once that process finishes you will be able to ssh to the virtual machine or connect via the serial console and of course once you have the ssh key in memory you can also log into that instance the IP address or DNS name, if you have one, is provided also in the uh, overview page. Okay, looks good. The future reads, uh, although this article focused on the use of FreeBSD ARM64 virtual machines, Oracle Cloud also offers bare metal tiers on these high-performance Ampere machines with full access to an entire 80 or 160 core system. Soon, official project images for ARM64 FreeBSD will be available directly in Oracle Cloud, making experimentation even easier and the full use of bare metal instances possible. I don't, I don't think you can do bare metal right now, but there are virtual machine images. But it's also cool to see how easy it is to build FreeBSD for this. Like, it's all just hmm. there. Yeah. It's very straightforward. And likely the patch that was mentioned will probably be merged somehow so that people don't need to do the patching I anymore. The future? Yeah, I think it has Already. been. I mean, it must have been if we have release images. The uh, the eighty core machines are fun to play with. It's fun just to run top dash p and <laughs> yeah, look at all Let's the cores. Let's see how much uh, image or how, how many CPUs actually fit on the screen these days. Okay, well, talking about things which are unnecessarily large, we have an update from Peter N M Hanstein um, from his blog at uh, that grumpy BSD guy. It's titled "The Things Spammers Believe." a tale of 300,000 imaginary friends. And Peter writes, It finally happened. Today I added the 300,000th spam trap address to my gray listing setup. For the most part, fished out of incoming traffic here for spammers to consume. A lot more than 15 years ago, I published a note about the public spam list, spam trap list for my gray trapping setup in a piece called, Hey spammer, here's a list for you. The total number of imaginary friends has now reached 300,000. I suppose this is an anniversary of sorts. If this all sounds a bit unfamiliar, you can find a brief explanation of the data collected and list itself on the spam trap list homepage. And yes, the whole thing has always been a bit absurd. That said, at the time in the mid noughties, this gray trapping setup was announced. We had been battling scammy spam email, malicious software that also abused email to spread for some years. And we were eagerly looking for new ways to combat the spam problems, which intended to eat into time and resources we would have used on other things entirely. With that backdrop collecting made up or generated invalid email addresses in our home domains from various logs as traps for spammers seemed like an excellent joke and a fun way to strike back at the undesirables who did their damnedest to flood our users' mailboxes. 
The initial announcement shows the early enthusiasm, as does a follow-up later in the same month. Harvesting the noise, while it's still fresh, SPF found potentially useful. That's, a, that's an email joke. Um, <laughs> with, a, with a small helping of skepticism towards some of the other methods and ideas that circulated at the time, of course. The various follow-ups, searching the spite using spam, anti-spam, or for that matter, spam D, and you'll find quite a few, reveal that we have worked on collecting, feeding to SpamDB, and publishing with a grin for quite a while. I even gave a talk at BSD Can 2007, 14 years ago, about the experience up to that point around the time the trap list became public. A few years later, I posted a slightly revised version of somewhat overweight paper as a blog post called Effective Spam and Malware Countermeasures Network Noise Reduction Using Free Tools that has also grown some addenda and updates over the years. I've revisited the themes of spam and maintaining block lists generated from the traffic that hits our site a few times over the years. The most useful entries are probably, there's a big list of entries. Um, by the time the largest influx of new spam traps or imaginary friends, if you will, happened during February through April of 2019, I was fresh out of ideas and have to write something entertaining and witty about the episode. What happened was the collection that had at the time accumulated somewhat more than 50,000 entries at a rate of no more than a few tens of entries per day for years started swelling by several thousands a day, harvesting again from the gray list. The flood went on for weeks and forced me to introduce a bit more automation in the collection process. I also tried repeatedly to write about the sudden influx, but failed to come up with an interesting angle and put off writing that article again and again. As I noted in that year's only blog entry, <laughs> I know how that feels, at the 2019 year in review, this was, once again, weirder than the last one, starting 30th of January 2019. So Peter now quoting himself. I noticed via my scriptory that reports on such things that a large number of apparent bounce messages delivered to addresses of made-up Western first name, Chinese last name at mydename.tld, such as Aaron Poo at bsd.net or Abana at bsd.net had turned up in addition to a few other varieties with no dot in the middle, possibly indicating separate sources. The IP addresses of the sending hosts were all in Chinese address ranges, and some weeks later in April, we had ended up harvesting at least 120,000 unique new entries of a very similar kind before the volume went down rather abruptly to what it had been before the incident. It's likely that what we were seeing was backscatter from one or more of the phishing campaigns targeting Chinese users where for reasons only known to the sender, they had chosen addresses in our domains as faked sender addresses. Fortunately, by the time that incident occurred, I had started keeping a log of spam traps by date and added actual graylist dumps generated by the block list generating script. It can be retrieved so more detail can be assembled when and if someone can find the time to do so. I kept repeating myself over the years. Maintaining the spam list and the block list seems sometimes turns up bizarre phenomena. Among the things that keep getting added to the spam traps list are products of SMTP callbacks and another source of new variant seems to be simply shoddy data handling at the sender's end. We keep seeing things that more likely than not are oddly truncated versions of existing spam tracks, spam traps. And finally, while the number of trapped hosts at any time seems to have stabilized over the last couple of years at a mid low to four digits, we seem to be seeing that low number of hosts aggressively targeting existing spam traps. I have at times been astonished by what appears to be taken as useful addresses to send mail to. 
and I'm sure that collecting and backlogging activity will turn up further absurdities unheard of going forward. It is also quite possible that I've forgotten about or skipped over one or more weird episodes in the saga of the spam traps in the block lists. I hope to be able to deliver at odd intervals, write-ups that are interesting, useful, funny, and at least one and hopefully all. If you're interested in the issues I touch on here, or if the data I accumulate will be of useful in your research, please let me know via comments or email. How do we comment on Peter via podcast? Uh, Peter, we're doing a podcast. We like your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's, here's our feedback. It's in a podcast. Go and listen to an hour of audio. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, um, yeah, that's basically the end Peter comes to. Um, he has an entry with the final 300,000th winner. Um he says, and yes, since I know you've been dying to ask, this is the entry collected in the evening of 7th of September, 2022, which took our population of imaginary friends over the 300,000 line. Phil's password for invalid user FTP shared. Hmm. Good effort. Yeah, nice try, but no win. <laughs> <laughs> nope, failed today. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, it's it's great to see how much uh, he has collected over the years as, as data from just spammers and using OpenBSD's uh, great trapping. Yeah. So more towards happier uh, topics. We all, as we mentioned, have returned from EuroBSDCon last week. Uh, and that was great to see people again. And uh, we will probably cover this a little bit more in detail in future episodes as people write blog posts and more talks become available or recordings. Uh, so this one is from Peter Tanik, hopefully that's properly pronounced, uh, that I got to meet at the and talk to at the social event. So uh, he wrote his experience from EuroBSDCon on his blog. And here goes, EuroBSDCon 2022. Last weekend, I was in Vienna for EuroBSDCon, an event where BSD users are gathering from Europe and all around the world. And while you could follow the event online, to me, the greatest value of the conference was not in the talks themselves, not to lessen their value, of course, as they were fantastic, but rather in meeting the people during the hallway session. The lineup consists of pseudo and syslog ng users, BSD users and developers, and even some people from history books uh, yeah, so uh, for people who don't know this, Peter Sanik is the author of Pseudo and Syslog NG. So that has been quite some uh, time that he has uh, built this software and he's still maintaining those. So, okay, next, venue. This year, the conference took place in Vienna in one of the buildings of the Technical University. Talks were given in two large and small auditoriums. Uh, and luckily, there was enough space for the hallway session too. And not just enough space, but also enough time for discussions. Coffee and tea helped up to stay awake. Wearing a mask was mandatory in the building, but luckily we could take it off for drinking a coffee or when giving a talk. Yeah, so that was definitely uh, mandated by the conference and it worked out well. People followed that and there were no like incidents and people could get masks at the registration desks or self-tests. So I think that was a good way of... Uh, balancing things off between pandemic and having a good conference like in the old days. Okay, the people. Best part of the event. At most conferences, people try to hide away their badges. Here, most of the badges were perfectly visible. Anyone less introvert than me could easily read names from badges and start a discussion with other participants. To me, approaching people is not so easy. Yeah, I know what that means. Uh, been there many times. Luckily... I don't have this problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> 
you it get better over over time or next time you come to the same conference we typically uh, warm up quicker anyway luckily i got some help during the event i participated in various bastille discussion groups and one of the members introduced me to many interesting people from the bsd community yeah that's good having someone uh introduce you or just uh connecting people this way there was one case where i collected all my courage and asked for a selfie with someone without any help eric allman yeah he's the creator of sendmail and syslog so i'm not that good at talking at taking selfies but luckily he was patient so this is the person who wrote syslog ng meeting the person who wrote syslog so there's the nice uh you know handing off the baton kind of thing um so yeah, the first one with masks on was probably the best photo of the series, but I also wanted one with his badge and my Syslog ND t-shirt visible. Eric explained that he's still using the original Syslog D, but was curious to learn what new features Syslog NG provides. He was surprised to hear that even Syslog NG is 24 years old now. Oh, wow. So he provides that picture. Very nice. Yeah, that's Eric. Um... Okay, and the social event was fantastic in many ways. It was probably the nicest venue that I have ever visited for a conference event, the Vienna City Hall. The city of Vienna was one of the main sponsors of the event, with one of its council members opening it. The food and drinks were really good, but those just provided a comfortable environment to many good discussions. Yeah, especially we could walk around to different tables and talk to people there and move over there to another table, pick up some more food and drinks, and oh, there's dessert, and oh, I met that person there, and you know how this goes. Very good, and it's definitely a nice venue. The talks. Listening here, everything would probably, or listening here <laughs> would uh, probably be too much, as I listened to more than 10 talks altogether. Neither of the keynotes were strictly BSD-specific, however, both had a strong message also for the world of BSD. Frank Karliczek uh, of Nextcloud talked about decentralized infrastructure and the importance of open source and open standards. Dylan Beatty of Microsoft talked about legacy code and also a few words about the Rockstar programming languages. Yeah, that is listed, uh, so that was funny. From the more BSD-focused folks, Eric Overby, I hope it's correct, uh, described the very same problems I had 15 or more years ago while running thousands of web servers. Default kernel parameters and web server parameters are not so well documented and need lots of experimentation and tuning to survive attacks. Uh, Toshan Barvani, who participates in the work of the Open Power Foundation, describes the current status of FreeBSD on open power and the resources available currently to developers and also talked a few words about the upcoming Power SBC arriving, hopefully mid next year. Oh, interesting. Netflix is active at open source events and proudly explains how they use FreeBSD to serve the world with movies using a FreeBSD-based platform. Almost every time they give a talk, the performance they demonstrate is doubled, right? This time they explained the hardware and FreeBSD tuning they use to reach 800 gigabits from a single host. No typo, this is real. The slides are uh, coming online sooner or later. 800 gigabits per second. Uh, his own talk. This year I gave a combination or a combined talk at EuroBeastCon about sudo and syslogng. Focus was on the very latest sudo features and I also demonstrated how to work with the logs of these features from syslogng. Pseudo logs, both traditional and JSON formatted, are automatically parsed by syslogng. Parsed messages are easier to alert on in real time in syslogng and also more efficient to work with various NoSQL databases where name-value pairs enable easier searching and reporting. Of course, as I was talking at a BSD event, I also talked about the history and status of syslogng in FreeBSD ports. Cool. There were some good discussions already before my talk. Python support, both in sudo and syslogng, resonated well with the audience. 
Beast users consider syslog ng to be the best maintained logging application in ports, which I was very happy to hear. Of course, I also learned about some technical problems. Luckily, none of them cause any real problems, only some ugly error messages. Still, I'll try to reproduce them. Version 4.0 syslog ng news were also well received, as many users use syslog ng to forward log messages to Elasticsearch or OpenSearch. Next year, I hope you could feel from my blog that I really enjoyed this conference, both from the BSD and the pseudo syslog ng points of view. So I hope to participate in the next EuroBSDCon as well. Yeah. That's cool. I don't know how anyone could possibly have written a blog post that said last weekend, like <laughs> one day after the conference. Yeah, yeah. Very stressful. And uh, I mean, traveling and being tired because you want to spend as much time as possible with these people causes you to lose some sleep, as I did. And other people were even <laughs> later than that. But yeah, it was definitely great. I've never read a trip report about uh, a thing I've been to before. Bringing back loads of memories. It was a really great conference. Um, I didn't actually speak to this person, but I did sit next near them while eating breakfast. <laughs> and they were speaking to Tosh. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, great mm. report. I did something equally awkward with... Um, Kirk McCusick, so you don't have to feel bad. It's a good selfie. Much better than what I did. <laughs> oh, you haven't met Kirk before? I've met Kirk yeah. before. Um, but it doesn't mean that what I did wasn't awkward. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> fine. I think he's used to that to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, do think he's used to just people be... I think <laughs> he's like uh, as close as you get to a rock yeah, star. Yeah, like Starstruck Kirk and, and all that. But he's yeah. like super casual <laughs> and yeah, open and friendly to everyone. Yeah. And yeah, we haven't even talked about the uh, hackathon, not hackathon, Dev Summit, and uh, the tutorials that I one of I gave one of the tutorials to fill in for uh, Jan Piet Menz. Uh, the Ansible tutorial he was supposed to give on the first day, so I couldn't attend the first day of Dev Summit. Uh, but then I joined on the second day, and I feel that was well received. Not me being not there on the first day, but the overall Dev Summit, uh, and yeah. I think that was a conference very successful. And of course, a lot of people were just happy to see each other after two years of uh, distancing and, uh, you know, video calls. Okay, that's all we have for the headlines. And next we have the news roundup. And first up in the news roundup, we have an update from Michael W. Lucas, frequent guest most frequent guest of the podcast yeah. very frequent guest of the podcast um and the subtitle on his blog is fueled by caffeine guided by spite which i've never <laughs> read before um and michael's update today is openbsd mastery file systems status sure. report michael writes i have just finished the non-native file systems part of openbsd file systems mastery I wouldn't say I've finished the hard part, but I finished the intertwined to an unholy degree part. Uh, there's a, I think you couldn't still sponsor the book. Uh, there's an ad in the middle of his blog post, but the ad is for him and we're reading his blog post. So I'm going to read the ad. Um, and it starts with a quote, in the beginning, Berkeley released Unix. This has made a lot of vendors very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. Sponsor this book today. So back to Michael. Um, why have I spent months on five chapters? Sorry, I, months doesn't seem like a long time for five chapters. And why have I spent months on five chapters? Because everything in the core storage system of any Unix is intertwined to a nearly unholy degree. 
To understand file systems, you must understand partitioning. But to understand why Unix uses partitions as it does, you need to understand file systems. I have meticulously disentangled facts so I can start explanations at the bottom of the storage stack, but add in enough higher level details exactly where you need them so you can make sense of why the bottom layers work as they do. Otherwise, you'd look at computers and think, wow, this is, whole thing is stupid. Don't get me wrong, the whole thing is stupid, but it's your job to understand the stupidity and I don't need to be rubbing your nose in it. Have I written on these before? Yes, many times. Does that make them easier to write? <laughs> no. Can I use earlier edition of OpenB Absolute OpenBSD to guide me? Sure, except the book is nearly 10 years old and every detail within is suspect and must be triple checked against the current state of software. And oh, by the way, that book doesn't even mention GPT or Fuse, so burn it all down. AO2E, AO2E, Absolute OpenBSD second edition is a checklist of things that will annoy me. The good news is the sections that remain are fairly tidy. They're not standalone, but they're less incestuously intertwined with other topics. NFS, okay, that's complicated. Uh, iSCSI, soft raid, encrypted storage. The first two are mostly standalone and that's easier to write. Also, as an author, I'm highly grateful that OpenBSD does not support NFS v4. I'm gonna push hard to get this done in the next few weeks, which brings me to, once that happens, sponsorships will close. If you want your name in the book, act now. Oh, yes. So you've been you've been warned. You, you sponsor these, don't you, Benedict? Uh, I did sponsor a couple of past books. I somehow missed his sponsor announcements. Uh, couldn't sponsor this last one. No, no, no you didn't. It's now. You can I can still now. press the button, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will see uh, to that if I'm not too late yet. <laughs> oh, you've missed it. Yeah, it's definitely closed. It says no products available uh, on this okay. website. But there will be more books. I am not worrying. Okay, moving quickly on and into the OpenBSD journal, we have an article by Peter N. M. Hanstein. That's weird. It's a familiar name. Mm. Um, <laughs> from the Do BGP Me Those Roots department. OpenBGPD, our favorite BGP daemon, has a new release, version 7.6. The release announcement leads in, we've released OpenBGPD 7.6, which will be arriving in the OpenBGPT. Op it's difficult. OpenBGPD. It's not as hard as DPLPM2D. <laughs> um, the, in the, <laughs> in the <laughs> uh, RFC 8899. We have released OpenBGPD 7.6, which will be arriving in the OpenBGPD directory of your local OpenBSD mirror soon. This release includes the following changes to the previous release. Include OpenBSD 7.1 Arata 008. BGPD could fail to invalidate next hops and correct incorrectly leave them in the fib or adjust rib out. I don't know what that means, but it's funny. Speed up BGP CTL to show rib 10 slash 8 or longer and show rib 10 slash 8 or shorter. Switch various static hash tables to red black trees, improving performance. Export per neighbor pending update and withdraw statistics. Fix race between a neighbor session reset and its update message backlog. <laughs> backlog. Improve handling of next hop reachability state changes. Further improve portability of the FIB handling code. And it goes on to note OpenBGP, OpenBGPD portable is known to compile and run on FreeBSD. And the Linux distributions Alpine, Debian, Fedora, RHEL, CentOS, and Ubuntu. It is our hope that packagers take interest and help adapt 
OpenBGP Deportable to more distributions. We welcome feedback and improvements from the broader community, thanks to all the contributors who have helped make this release possible. And it's a very welcome update and a sure sign that an OpenBSD re release is getting close to being ready. Mm -hmm. And we'll stay on OpenBSD's Undeadly web page a little bit more. OpenBSD may soon gain further memory protections, that is, immutable userland mappings. That sounds interesting. Uh, Theodore Rudd gave a preview of code that may soon land in current, and the message uh, reads, in the last few years, I've been improving the strictness of userland memory layout. An example is the recent addition of map underscore stack in my MSUS call. Okay. The first one marks pages that are stack so that upon entry to the kernel, we can check if the stack pointer is pointing in the stack range. If it isn't, the most obvious conclusion is that a ROP pivot has occurred and we kill the process. The second one marks the region, which contains syscall traps. If upon entry to the kernel, the PC, the program counter, is not in that region, we know someone is trying to do system calls via an unapproved method. My first attempt is to lock memory mappings. The current working name is Mimutable. <laughs> okay, uh, takes an address, pointer, and a size t length. This identifies all current map memory in a region and tags the mappings. Such mappings can never be unmapped. No new mmap can be done on top of the mappings, and the permissions cannot be changed. Other than that, the underlying storage memory works fine. It is just the mapping that is locked. So this is about work that is upcoming, still not committed. The post includes a patch, which is sort of a snapshot of work in progress. You can read the full message and any follow-ups starting in the provided link, and do test if you feel up to it. And uh, one more from uh, Undeadly Org to complete the... Uh, for use roundup items. Uh, it's portable open SSH commits, now SSH signed. So which may sound not too exciting, but I guess it certainly is uh, proving who made those changes. Damien Miller, DJM, notes that all new commits to the portable open SSH repository are now signed using Git's SSH signature support. And uh, there's more details on the OpenSSH development mailing list. We are in the process of converting the portable OpenSSH repository to require sign commit tags and pushes using Git's recent SSH signature support. So far, it's gone very smoothly, and we hope to have it enforced for all commits soon. We maintain our own Git repository for portable OpenSSH that is automatically mirrored to GitHub. We use pre-receive and update hooks to check for signed pushes and tags commits, respectively, using an in-repository allow underscore signers file. This is a most welcome process integrity improvement that uh, hopefully will make the world trust our favorite SSH software even more. Okay. And this is normally the point in the show where we go to your feedback and questions, but unfortunately, we don't have any. So if you would like to comment on the um, excellent abilities we have now to enter the real world and see each other as, as covered by the EuroBSDCon articles, or if you would like to ask a more mundane question about computers mm -hmm. of some sort, you can send feedback to feedback at bsdnow.tv and we will incorporate your questions, comments, and ideas into our show. But as we don't have any feedback, I think it's now time for me to talk about myself for a while. Um, <laughs> no. Um, Take it away. So, yeah, so I, I, I too was at EuroBSDCon because we all were. Everyone was there. Why weren't you there? Um, it was it was an, an excellent conference. The conference did a, a concerted effort to make feel, people feel comfortable post-COVID, and so the conference required masking. It provided F. PP2 masks for attendees 
which I might have taken a handful of home because they're quite expensive. And it also provided COVID tests. And I think um, that allowed people that might have had qualms about being at such a large event, much more comfortable. And the level of masking was very good throughout. I'm only aware of one case where someone had to be told to wear a mask, which I think is very good. Um, and it, it was a very good conference. If it did mean we were all a little bit muffled when we spoke. But it mean, means that Groff, the BSD goat who has moved into my house, got to wear a mask and moan about it. So that's good too. Uh, unlike Benedict, I um, I only gave a talk at the conference. And so I was able to attend both days of the Excellent. Dev Summit. And the first day of the Dev Summit had um, Justin Gibbs. Well, I hope that's the right Justin. Yeah. Uh, Justin Gibbs um, gave a little introduction about his history with the project and his current roles, and he tried to encourage us to come up with ideas for how to improve the FreeBSD project, and particularly on the vein of reducing friction. Um, and so while we have a podcast here, it would be great actually if people could give feedback about the things that cause friction in their lives. When I was speaking to Justin, it made me realize that we're very good about automating things to remove friction. And so maybe the, the little hacks you have that you just can't live on a system without are great things that we should be porting back into the operating system. So if you want, you can send us emails about the cool stuff you do and we'll tell you to go and create a pull request or you could go and try and submit these to the project. The rest of a dev summit included presentations from um, members of the project and people who are associated with the project. So there was a great presentation from RGNets about scaling PF on FreeBSD and they managed um, dramatic improvements of PF performance in their use case. And we're going to see these changes land in FreeBSD cool. soon. And then there were smaller individual sessions where we talked about um, small ideas and presented work in progress. And then we had a small hackathon. And that's how we filled out the two days before. Uh, and a lot of this time was actually just spent catching up and figuring out where we've been in the last uh, three years. It's really awkward to ask someone how they've been in the last three years, because for a lot of people, that's sort of um, it's between five and 10% of their life. Um, and, and big things happen over even, you know, a, a time span like that. Um, the Saturday and Sunday, uh, that have just passed were EuroBSD con. It started with an excellent keynote from next cloud. And then we rolled into sessions. I were, was at, um, the five talks of that day. So I was very confused about the other person saying they managed to go to more than 10. Cause I think you could only go to five talks each day, maybe six each day. Yeah. Um, and some great talks, uh, can't remember any of them apart from Corvin's talk at the end of Saturday, where it, he talked about uh, graphics pass through for Beehive virtual machines and gave and started with a live demo running um, graphics benchmarks on a Windows virtual machine in Beehive remotely in a data center, which was was really impressive. He started by giving a demo and then explained what he'd done, and it was really cool. The second day. I was speaking, and so I was in and out of different stuff. Um, Good talk, by the way. 51 slides in total. There's more than 51 <laughs> slides. <laughs> that's true. But yeah, <laughs> without running over time, the, that's... that's uh, Yeah, yeah there, there were more slides than there were, than there were minutes for the talk. Um, someone said I had a very high bandwidth of information, which apparently was a compliment, but I think it means I speak too fast. But you would know you you listening to a podcast. I'm on. <laughs> it helps, and you also helped out uh, in on the first day introducing speakers and uh, in one room. Yeah, and and that's why I know I was at five talks, but I can't remember any of them because uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's funny. Um, and on Sunday there were also really good talks. I'm I'm really looking forward to the recordings coming out so I can see Drew's talk. 
Um, so it's Drew Gallatin from Netflix talking about doing 800 gigabits per second, which I think will be really interesting. Um, yeah, it was really good. There was a, a great talk on memory barriers that I didn't see. Uh, and if you like memory barriers, that might be the sort of thing for you. I think it was a, a really special experience. Um, I'm lucky enough that next month I get to host a hackathon in Aberdeen. And so we get to have more in-person experience. So it's going to feel normal. Mm. And then I won't see anyone for a couple of years. But yeah, it was really good. When you say a couple of years, that's a joke, right? No, well, we'll see. Uh, I we don't know. We'll, yeah, who, who knows? Well, well, let's keep it at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, yeah. Uh, did you also go to the Dev Summit dinner? Yeah, I think you were there. Yeah, so there was a Dev Su Summit dinner in a, in a great restaurant, which meant we got to spend a couple of hours just talking nonsense. Uh, and then there was also the excellent social function in the um, City Hall of Vienna, which is one of the grandest buildings I've ever been in. And well worth a visit if they'll ever let you in, but I don't know how a normal person would get in there. I don't really know why they let us in there. Uh, so I know that Manuel Wiesinger, who was one of the uh, organizers, the local organizers, who's also an avid listener to the podcast, he keeps repeating to me because he's using that uh, for his run or cycle to to work. And uh, it's exactly the right amount of time to get to there. Um, so he knows uh, people at SBA Research who were sponsoring and those uh, folks had done this at the city hall already so they were just oh it's just a phone call away more or less and that way we could get in we must have been the scruffiest bunch they hosted probably there. not the usual uh audience uh, they host there <laughs> but nevertheless we uh left the place as it was and we were just emptying the uh, food and wine reserves uh, yeah but so if you feel like you have missed out and you have there is uh open zfs developer summit soon-ish if you are in the right side of the planet and then i think the next event in europe will be fosdem in february january that this like normally that transition weekend yeah. and then there was an announcement the last week that asia bsdcom will mm -hmm. happen next year yeah so and so there's let's hope that all happens and works without too much pandemics going on till then or around that time and uh yeah so it seems like the conference uh, circus or the conferences themselves will start up again maybe in a reduced form or again with masks like EuroBSDCon but I think there are ways to you know provide uh, certain protections and if, and again at EuroBSDCon they weren't everyone wasn't there like the usual people who've been there for like 10 or 15 years even before my time it was a reduced audience but definitely the core people core is a bad word for that um, were there so that's individual's choice, right? I love to talk to people and caught up with um, what they were doing and any news there. Oh, are you still at that company? No, not anymore. Already at two new companies in between. Um, and so things like that needed a couple of catching up. But it's definitely nice. Uh, I was also approached by two listeners of the podcast who I've never talked uh, to before, which was interesting, getting their feedback. And uh, yeah, that was always great to see that they recognize me and my voice uh, since we're not doing video anymore. And yeah, it's great to have this kind of feedback from people. Yeah, I, I had a couple of people come up to me and say they recognize <laughs> my voice. Um, but we could be doing Bened video Benedict if only you could figure out how to use OBS. Uh, we could baby, uh, baby, basically <laughs> words. I, I have to switch back from German to to uh, to English at the conference the whole time. So I was a couple uh, times talking to Alan in German, which he was kind of, wait, what? Um, 
No, basically, I could probably figure this out uh, at the hackathon in Aberdeen. I guess you're more familiar with uh, OBS. You're gonna you're gonna see that it's pasting a URL on a box and feel. Really and it's sad. all it's so easy. That's why everyone's yeah. doing it these yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, that's why everyone's doing it. People don't do hard things. Uh, yeah, I probably make it more things. complicated than it is. Uh, <laughs> feature of mine. Um, no, definitely. Thanks again to all the people who made Eurobeastycon possible organizers, sponsors, speakers, everyone involved, and uh, of course, attendees uh, make these things possible. Did we also talk about where it is next time? Well, so they announced um, where the conference would be next year at the end, as, as they normally do in, in a big mm. show. Uh, but this year they held an auction copying uh, BSD can, and the first thing up for auction was five minutes notice about the next venue yeah. the ceremony master uh, which was Henning uh, Brower had an <laughs> had a sealed envelope and a written location of uh, european 2023 on it and that was auctioned off for a good cause to a, a refugee uh, program and they already received the total amount of uh, uh, money that was uh, spent this way and they were uh, tweeting thank you european so they auctioned off also a couple of uh, local specialties and uh, people were well uh, receiving them. And uh, yeah, I guess a couple, I don't know the total amount of money that came together, but it's certainly not bad for a conference like that. And, and of course, the venue next year is... Drum roll. He's going to say, uh, it's, it's Coimbra in Portugal. Mm -hmm. Very warm in September. I looked up the temperature chart. They, they haven't, haven't dates yeah. yet. But it, it looks like it'll be a great venue for a conference. Mm, oh, yes. I think uh, EuroBeastCon is uh, following its track uh, northeast, southwest. And uh, it's always nice to have a new country to travel to that you haven't been to, at least for speaking only for myself. So, yeah, definitely all uh, good. And um, we look forward to the next thing. And with that, we close this episode. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And we will be back with another one next week.